0: Innovation Rockstars. Rockstars. Innovation Rockstars. Our today's guest, Sven Schimpf from the Fraunhofer Group for Innovation Research. Hi, and welcome back to a new episode of the Innovation Rockstars. I am Chris Mühlroth, and I'm pleased to welcome Sven Schimpf, from the Fraunhofer Group for Innovation Research. Sven, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, before we get started with today's topics, let's talk about you first. Uh, Who are you and what is your background?
1: Yeah, my background is very much linked to the topic of innovation. I'm working for Fraunhofer now since 20 years. First, uh, for a long time, closely together with many companies in the area of strategic uh, technology, innovation and R&D management, and since three and a half years, I'm managing director of the Fraunhofer Group for Innovation Research, combined with a professorship um, at the University of Pforzheim um, in the topic area of innovation and interdisciplinarity research. Mm -hmm. Now, the Fraunhofer Society
0: looks back on a very long history uh, since it was founded, um, I guess, back in 1949. And the list of the Fraunhofer Institutes and facilities is quite long. Um, And as you mentioned, since 2017, you are the managing director of the Fraunhofer Group for Innovation Research. Uh, Can you describe for us how this group is embedded in the entire Fraunhofer organization and uh, what your main responsibilities are.
1: Yeah, to understand the role of the Group for Innovation Research, uh, it is important to say that Fraunhofer, the Fraunhofer Society, developed from a small group of people in 1949 uh, into a very large and complex organization with almost 30,000 people working there today in 74 institutes. Um, and the groups at Fraunhofer, they are uh, they can be imagined like uh, a middle layer between the institutes um, and the central head office that is located in Munich uh, in Germany. So um, in the groups, uh, institutes are combined uh, brought together based on their competencies. so so we have uh, a group for production, we have a group for uh, information and communication technologies. And uh, we have a group for microelectronics. And since three and a half years, we also have the group for innovation research, uh, which brings together the institutes that are more active in socioeconomic and socio-technical t- uh, um, projects. So um, concerning the tasks of the group internally, um, we, we are helping, we are supporting institutes um, in aligning and bringing together the strategic direction of Fraunhofer. We are also supporting Fraunhofer itself with studies, foresight studies and uh, analysis of innovation systems. Um, On the other hand, um, another key task is to... uh, bring transparency uh, towards the outside world, because you can imagine in such a complex organization, very much driven by the institutes and uh, on a decentral level, it is not always easy to find activities and uh, the competencies that you are looking for.
0: Uh, great. Thanks for the for the brief overview. That is really helpful. Now, for this episode, um, you brought two highly interesting studies uh, with you. So the first one is an a paper, an impulse paper on the topic, uh, understanding change, uh, shaping the future. And a second study, um, a field study on disruption. Now, first of all, a very basic question. What is actually the difference between the impulse paper and the field study?
1: So finally, um, I'm not 100% sure if the saying is the same in in English language. So... um I looked it up, but uh, I would say the name is the program here. Uh, so if we say we are speaking about an impulse paper, we would like to provide impulses that enable um, companies, but also policy maker and academic organizations to reflect on their position in current innovation systems and um, provide insights on how the future will develop in this context to enable them to um, to prepare for these futures. On the other hand, a field study is more aimed at looking into uh, industry uh, and identifying where they stand, uh, what the current state is in in their organizations and so on.
0: Okay, great. Now, let's start with the first paper, with the Impulse paper. Um, I have read it, of course. And uh, this paper identifies a, a selection of trends that are likely to have a significant impact on innovation and innovation systems by 2030. And uh, from there, you also derived a few assumptions for innovation in 2030 and described um, the fields of action for business, for politics, for science, and for society as a whole. Now um, let's let's uh, dive into the contents of the paper a bit. But before that, uh, maybe can you tell me what exactly was the motivation for uh, this paper? Why did you actually um, do it?
1: Yes, Chris, uh, this is this is very um, let's say a strong red line in here because um, we looked at the innovation system, especially in Germany and Europe. But this can also be transferred to through the Western world. Finally and we thought okay we we have very um well known success models of innovations that were developed in the last century um like in germany for example the car was developed here and we still if you look outside of your your window you will see a lot of these inno- products uh, still available and um then we looked in um into the last decades and there we we saw that uh, it was very much um Influenced by digital innovations, um, and if you speak to managers, for example, as um, the Boston Consulting Groups do, a group does regularly, um, they respond that most uh, the companies that are appreciated uh, being most innovative, they are mainly coming from other countries. So here, the U.S., like Google, Apple, Amazon, and so on and our thinking was okay um, innovation changed in the past and we expect innovation to change in the future so um, innovation activities also um, what has to be done to be competitive based on innovation in the future and uh, considering these changes that can be anticipated already today this was the reason why we came up with a study to to and why we did let's say a foresight um, study on innovation itself here.
0: I was just about to say yeah it sounds like a foresight study on innovation which is great. Now how did you how did you do that? How did you derive the assumptions for the study? Which methods and tools did you use for that study?
1: This was more or less a standard procedure, at least uh, for for us here in the group for innovation research. So we did a systems analysis uh, to identify the influence factors and the interrelations between these influence factors. Uh, Finally, to come up with a prioritization of the influence factors, so identifying the key influence factors, uh, we reduced them to to a number of um, handful, five uh, key influence factors here. And uh, then we tried, based on uh, the knowledge that is available here within the group, we um, we projected uh, these influence factors into the future. Um, it can be imagined like a reduced uh, scenario technique, but uh, we didn't aim at multiple futures here. But we wanted really to highlight uh, the futures, the trends uh, that are most probable from our perspective. This is why we came up then with the development of five theses that are presented in the, in the paper.
0: Yeah. And, and since I've read it, I can tell the paper is very comprehensive. Um, um uh, great to read. And, uh, for everyone who is interested, uh, we will, of course, um, post a link to it in the show notes of this episode. Now, for, for this uh, interview, Sven, can you give us a brief summary of the key findings of this paper? So, um, to, to make it concrete, what, what does innovation look like, uh, in 2030 and maybe even, you know, beyond that?
1: I mean, for people working in the area of innovation, many of the trends that we have integrated into the paper should not be a surprise. I mean, the key here is to provide companies with, let's say, a baseline for the f- reflection of their own uh, innovation ecosystems. So the first thesis here that we um, formulated was that uh, we think that innovation in 2030 will be much more open and much more flexible. Learning will be an integral part Um, We think that this is necessary because um, we will see much more technological convergence, different technological areas coming together. And also along the value chain, uh, we will not anymore speak about single components or products, but more uh, about uh, solutions for the users. Uh, which, by the way, is the third thesis here of the paper, the trend towards integrated solutions. But uh, coming back to the first one, uh, based on this, we think that it is it will be required to um, work together in a much more intense way here between different stakeholders and also stakeholders that are not very much involved in innovation activities today, like um, citizens um, that are enabled by uh, the openness of uh results from academia. This is the um, fourth thesis. Finally, we think that open science, I'm I'm jumping a little bit around, but please look into the paper to get the overview. Uh, we think that open science will be an integral part of um, innovation in the future. And this enables finally everybody to get the knowledge um, on how a solution might be um, configured. But finally, the key aspect here is not um, having the uh, knowledge but it's more about finding the right knowledge and getting the insight on on the user needs here towards integrated solutions a very strong trend here uh, that we see is um, in the third thesis which is uh, the digitalization and we see digitalizations on the one hand side as a strong influence influence factor on the outcome on of innovation activities. But uh, within the study, we looked more into how um, the the digitalization will influence innovation itself, so the innovation activities. And we think that um, uh, innovation processes in 2030 will be fully digitized um, and that AI will play a role. We can call it even a strong role for incremental innovations um, in, in 2030, so taking over um, innovation activities and also developing um, advancing uh, products on its own. I, I mean radical innovation, they will be, let's say, um, an area where where humans will will have the control and also add the value add the benefit here. But for incremental innovations, if you imagine a product collecting data, uh, bringing the data back, combining it with other market data, and then on, on an object-based, uh, development, uh, pro- process, I mean, machines will be able to, to develop products and advance products here, at least, um, on an incremental level. Um, the last thesis here is very much based on, on, um, the European perspective, because we think that in 2030, um, Europe will benefit much more than today from its position, uh, in relation to data uh, sovereignty and um, data security, which will gain uh, in importance. Um, if you, if you look at uh, the increased digitalization, I think this is a trend that we, we already see today and already now we see companies taking benefit from that development.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I see a new headline for this episode incoming, which may be called uh, the AI as the incremental innovator or the innovator for incremental innovation. Uh, that's great. <laughs> um, I think that's a strong trend. Uh, totally agree. We see the same on the market and also inside uh, uh, companies. But I want to refer to the last point uh, you made. Um, concerning, um, you know, the European ecosystem, data security, sovereignty, and so on. Um, what do you think? How well are we actually performing in Germany and or the European Union in terms of innovation systems and innovation strength? Are we good? Are we not that good? What do you think?
1: I mean, uh, we are in a very good position, I would say. Uh, so so if uh, improvements um, are on the way, they are on a quite high level. But um, we see, especially from emerging com- uh, countries, uh, many new innovators coming up with completely new approaches of innovation and also, let's say, with um a mass of people, um, entering the innovation sphere, I would say. So, um, we have to be careful that, that we uh, remain at our current position in the future and that we also focus on specific areas where we remain at the very top end of innovation activities.
0: And where do we need to take action in, in the different? Fields or areas of business, politics, science and a society to perform even better. Do, do you have some, some suggestions?
1: Yeah. I mean, innovation is, is very, very often, I would say, uh, mentioned to be the competitive m- factor, um, today and also in the future. And, um, if I look into our, um, education system, into companies and so on, I only partly see that, um, statement reflected in reality. So there's a lot we, we should do here. I mean, In education, innovation should really be an integral part of um, everyday activities, same in companies. Here, uh, innovation is often um, appreciated as being uh, the competence area of R&D departments. But uh, finally, ideas can come from all sides and from all employees and um, companies, as well as uh, policymakers. And also in society, we have to enable people to um, to implement, to realize their ideas and uh, to bring them into practice. And there's a whole set of, of um, there's the mindset behind and There's a set of methods and uh, enablers uh, that we have to work upon.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, since we are recording uh, this episode um, late March in the year 2021, uh, would your answer have been the same before the start of the Corona pandemic, so in early 2020, um, for example? Or would you maybe argue that the events in the past 12 months um, actually changed um, your some of your uh, points of view?
1: Yeah, this is a very good question. I mean... um There's a very nice uh, study from one of the institutes of the Fraunhofer Group for Innovation Research dating from um, 2013. And it is named um, Pandemic Influencia in Germany in the year 2020. So we did a foresight study in the Group for Innovation Research, uh, predicting more or less what is what was happening in the year 2020 with three different scenarios. Um, and if you look at those, you, you can quite easily see that um, they are a good example of how Foresight works. Uh, in the case of here, the future of innovation, um, we, we published this study in 2018, so um, three years ago now. Uh, And what is interesting here, uh, we think that uh, based on events like the COVID-19 pandemic, um, foresight shall be questioned. And we did that. Uh, We are uh, on our way to publish an update. Um, I must say uh, the key change here that we see is uh, that we will be in a digitized innovation process and uh, in the application of AI much earlier than um, 2030, Concerning the other thesis, uh, there are quite a few influence factors like also the digitalization or um, technological sovereignty and so on. But for the other thesis uh, concerning openness, concerning uh, the trend towards integrated solutions, overall, we do not see um, uh, strong changes here uh, uh, that were influenced by, by the pandemic.
0: Okay, so we, we do have a, a, you know, a big push for digitization and also artificial intelligence, but in general, you know, the, the, the assumptions, the thesis or the, the impulses you developed, um, stayed uh, quite stable. Um, which I think is a totally, you know, realistic um, um, assessment of that. Okay, yeah. Th- thanks for the for the for the overview of that study. And um, again, we will link the full, uh, you know, PDF or a link to the full study in the show notes of this episode. Now let's turn to the second publication you brought for uh, today. Um, the study, the practice study on disruption. Um, I've read it too, and um, this is how um, I understood that this is about how companies identify, evaluate, um, and develop or implement potentially disruptive technologies. Now, first of all, same question here. What was the reason for conducting this practice study?
1: So the disruption field study was conducted because we wanted to... um Find out uh, what the current state uh, is in companies, how companies are dealing, are uh, managing potentially disruptive technologies and innovations. Uh, The key reason for that was that within the last uh, 10 or even 20 years, um, the the amount of discussions on uh, disruptions, uh, disruptive innovations, um was continuously increasing and so um we wanted to see if people are only talking about this topic or if they are really let's say doing some something within their organizations
0: okay and the i guess the field study starts with the definition uh, the actual definition of the term disruption um, now, since, since we have you here, when <laughs> in this episode, maybe very briefly, just for the sake of definition, what defines a disruption or a, a disruptive innovation?
1: Yeah, thank you. I mean, um, the, the differentiation of different innovation types, I would say, is meant to uh, enable companies uh, to handle these innovations, which are um, which have different, let's say, requirements in the right way. So um, the best known example here is the differentiation between incremental and um, radical innovation uh, differentiated by uh, the uh, the level of performance increase or level of newness um, of an innovation uh, in relation to a reference solution. So you have a reference solution on the market and uh, you compare it to, to the innovation. Um, and as you can imagine, I mean, incremental innovations, they can be carried uh, done with, let's say, uh, existing architectures, existing technologies. So you continue as you did. Um, uh, if you speak about radical innovations, it's more about, uh, let's say, changing paradigms, applying new technologies, thinking about uh, new architectures and so on. So it requires different mindsets, different peoples and different infrastructure. Um the same here happens for um, the differentiation between sustaining and disruptive technologies. Disruptive technologies, um, uh, where innovations are differentiating, uh, differentiated according to uh, the impact of a differenti- uh, of an innovation um, on the market or the application area. Um, so if we speak here in the study uh, from, from an organizational, from, from an industry perspective about uh, disruptions, we mean innovations that are um, substituting reference solutions and thereby making the investments of the incumbent companies. So the traditional market leaders um, obsolete. Um, Finally, changing the market structures in a way when new entrants, um, they gain market leadership and the traditional market leaders, they lose their position.
0: Okay, great. Thanks for the comprehensive um, overview. Makes perfect sense. Now let's go into the contents of this study. Um, let, let's start with the first step, which is, I guess, the ident- identification, um, right? So h- how do companies actually deal with potentially disruptive technologies um, and what, what did you find in your practice study? Um, um, how, f- how do companies identify possible disruptions? May- maybe start, maybe use this as a starting point.
1: Yes, in the study, um, we looked at potentially disruptive technologies, disruptive technologies being a key enabler for disruptive innovations. If you think about uh, digital photography, for example, where the digital sensor was one of the technologies uh, driving this change forward combined with, let's say, uh, the the computing power behind and so on. Um, So, um, in the study, we differentiated between the three phases um, the identification of potentially disruptive technologies, the evaluation and the uh, development and implementation of uh, potentially disruptive technologies. Starting with the identification here, uh, we saw that uh, a major part of companies is uh, using the same search fields for potentially disruptive technologies and other technologies. Which is, let's say, um, not reflecting uh, the knowledge that is available in, in academia because there um, it is clearly stated that uh, most often you find potentially disruptive technologies outside of your field of competency um, and outside of your sector, finally.
0: Very interesting. Why do you think this is the case? Why, why do you think that companies, um, you know, look oftentimes into the existing or the the known search fields rather than one, rather maybe new
1: ones? Um, I think this is related to uh, to the group bias to a major part because you you have your perspective within a company, and uh, this is the perspective from which you look into the world. This can uh, be a uh, product related this can be sector related and so on and it's always a major step to to look beyond the horizon of of your uh, thinking model of of the the organization and uh, furthermore often um i mean i remember a statement from one workshop participant uh, who said that uh, a very good indicator um, for potential disruptions is uh, if the incumbents are laughing about uh, something, so about a new entrant, about a new solution. And this reflects somehow here the mind model that is also, uh, that was confirmed somehow by the results of the study uh, for the identification, also for the other phases.
0: Yeah, that's a good story, but valid statement. Now, let's move on in the process. Um, once in a company is possibly identified, uh, identified possible disruptions or disruptive technologies. How how do they move on? How are these technologies then eva- evaluated? What's kind of the the next steps?
1: Um, yeah, for the evaluate, eva- evaluation, um, only a minor part of um, of companies has really formalized uh, processes available. A major part either has has no formalized processes. Um, or is using the processes, the standard technology monitoring processes for other technologies, which is again the same situation a little bit as for the identification and the key aspect for the evaluation is the intuition of um, employees. Um, And interestingly, interestingly, um, another aspect here is uh, that was mentioned quite a lot, uh, the aspect of serendipity. Um, So the seemingly random observation and combination of uh, rather inconspicuous in clues here um perhaps you 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 know the the saga of the Princess of serendip uh, where this this terminology comes from uh, but finally the key question for us here is if uh, you speak about intuition of employees or also serendipity um if there are any let's say um Enablers for the employees to really do that. So um, normally, if I look into the companies that I faced, uh, I think it's not the best way to come up to to the management level and and say, um, yeah, based on my intuition or uh, serendipitously, uh, I. I think that this technology here can be uh, potentially disruptive. Um, I don't know if this really works in practice. Uh, I have my doubts, and I think this is there's a huge potential for improvement here.
0: Mm. Uh, so- sounds like. And um, after that, um, you know, after evaluation, um, um, maybe also with different types of experts with different backgrounds, trying to eliminate biases <laughs> as good as possible. how, how is then the implementation? Or the decision for implementation being made. Um, so what happens after maybe you know are you, you, companies found, okay, there is a possible technological disruption. And we've evaluated it, and it may actually may or may not fit to our strategy. Now, how, how does it? How do, how do companies move on? How is the implementation decision then being made inside the companies?
1: The decision if a company proceeds on a potentially disruptive technologies and participating companies here is made by 95%, so almost 100% um, on the executive level. And um, again, I would doubt if uh, someone comes up with intuition or serendipity to, um, to, let's say, uh, get a positive uh, answer from their side. It would be very interesting to get to know something about um uh, the the negative answers from executive manager managers concerning potentially disruptive technologies um so how many projects are denied on that level Um, But I guess that it will be difficult to get data on that topic. (laughs) Um, On the other hand, if you speak about implementation, uh, 65% of participating companies, uh, they are developing um, potentially disruptive technologies based or with their existing uh, structures and employees. Um, And again, this reflects something that is kind of a mismatch because... um, First, if you speak about um, your own employees, if you if we if we look at the automotive industry, and if you imagine an expert working for several decades in combustion engines, if you would ask him about uh, how he would eva- evaluate or would have evaluated the electric drivetrain, I, I don't know if um, we w- we would have. Got an unbiased answer here, and uh, same happens if you would like to develop a potentially disruptive technology for the drivetrain. This certainly might be um, uh, the electric uh, electric drivetrain if you compare it with combustion engines. Um, so uh, it is questionable if the experts working in one domain in the traditional domain for a long time, if they are the best group to work on uh, a potentially disruption that uh, will be able to substitute the previously existing solution here.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So, um, what if I were to ask you what recommendations you would give along those three steps? So identify, evaluate, and, and decide and implement. What would be your recommendations for companies to get better in this area?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, there seems to be a gap between academia and um, industry, which is which quite often happens. And I don't want to blame anyone here. This might be the cause of uh, academia of the results that are not su- sufficiently uh, developed uh, to be be applied in industry. This might also be uh, caused by a partly ignorance of um, industry here concerning the results achieved by academia. But this is something where we have from both sides uh, where we have to work upon because um, we have many, let's say, um, in Germany, Europe or the Western world, we have many market leaders and uh, we think that uh, we already now can anticipate uh, many potential disruptions coming up. Uh, so i would recommend to to uh, just let's say consider potential disruptions more specifically both let's say on a strategic level and then also in uh, operational um, uh, management of technologies like um, the the continuous monitoring and uh, the definition of specific search field and fields and evaluation criteria meant to being able to really evaluate to identify potential disruptions here coming up
0: Oh. And uh, finally, for for this study, the, here comes a somewhat provocative question. Yeah, um, given all the data you collected, given all the research that you've made, given all the insights that you have gained um, based on the, you know all that data, how what, what do you what would you say? How disruptive are we really in in Germany and in Europe, especially in these in these days?
1: yeah, I mean, I partly answered already this uh, about the situation here of of Germany of Europe. Uh, but if we speak about innovation culture, i would I would say that we are we are not the ones taking um taking risk on a daily basis. and I think this is always part of the game if you speak about a potential disruption, you you have finally, uh do uh, we can call it vision oriented research and innovation so you have to have a strong vision you have to believe in it you have to take the risk and you have to work on this innovation for for a long time uh, because um, for many disruptive innovations or technologies driving these dis- disruptive innovations this was not um, from one day to the other but but this was um, this took a long time and often you do not see any results in in a short time horizon
0: here. Yeah, great and honest answer. And I think it would be as you said, it would be beneficial, specifically in in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, but in entire Europe, in the entire European Union, if we would, at some point in time, um, you know, be a risk more, uh, a bit more risk taking, or have a bit higher willingness to take risk. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, and, but um, overall, Sven, uh, Sven, thanks very much for introducing us to both of your publications and and the insights out of it. And again. Um, we will also link the um, second publication in the show notes um, of this episode. Um, we, we were close to the end of this episode, but before we close it, let's summarize just briefly once again. So for each publication, for the first paper, the, the paper giving impulses with the title Understanding Change and Shaping the Future, and the second one, the Field Study on Disruption, what what would you say is the one key insight of each publication?
1: So for the Impulse paper, I mean, we see things that we saw in the past also um, developing that that will develop further, like openness, like uh, trends towards integrated solutions and so on. The most uh, striking uh, insight here is that innovation uh, will change because in the past, most often um, the interaction between people was in, in the center of innovation activities, at least in the early phases, um, as a key element. And um, uh, we see digitalization, digitalization changing uh, the, the rules of the games. So, um, if you speak about AI. Um, coming up with ideas of combining areas that weren't combined before. Um, we see AI developing solutions. Um, so uh, this changes uh, the rules of the game and also the the mindset here of innovation managers has to change into this direction because we often we often see, let's say, um, barriers in companies in innovation, Um, management uh, that is related to increased levels of digitalization here. And we see from our side, we see AI and digitalization as an important tool and as a key success factor, key competitiveness factor uh, for innovation in the future.
0: Yeah. And for for the
1: disruption study... For the disruption study uh, this is I can summarize what I already said uh, I think it is important uh, to to integrate potential disruptions really in the strategic orientation and um, continuously monitor them so for example use methods like trajectory method um, tra- trajectory um, paths to to being able to monitor the development of uh, technologies most often um, potentially disruptive technologies are those technologies um, that develop fast and thus change the rules of the game uh, as as soon as they uh, reach a certain uh, certain milestone here. And uh, companies have to uh, to be prepared uh, for these situations.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely a long game, right? Um, <laughs> now, let, b- before we close the meeting, I do have a final question for you, which um, I very much like to ask. Uh, when you look back on, on your time at the, the Fraunhofer so far, um, what would you say what was your most favorite innovation
1: Rockstar moment so far. Yeah, this is a very nice question. I mean a little bit hard to answer in in our case because at Fraunhofer we are we are working closely together with companies and the key success is happening within the companies finally. and uh, for me personally, I have the innovation Rockstar moments. Uh, when I see companies applying uh, our results and being successful um, with, with this um, support or with this help from our side.
0: Yeah, perfect. That's great. Um, Sven, thank you very much for your time today and the insights into your work um, and also into the two publications today. Um, it was really a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you very much, Chris. Pleasure on my side and... Um, Looking forward to the the other episodes here. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, to everybody listening and watching,
0: if you would like to connect with Sven for more insights on the future of innovation, uh, just shoot us an email um, at info at innovation-rockstars.show or just leave a comment anywhere uh, where you just listened to this episode. Now that's it. Thanks for listening. Take care and bye-bye. Innovation Rockstars that was Innovation Rockstars Ven Shim from the Fraunhofer Innovation Group. Do you have any questions or would you like to learn more about the studies Ven presented today? Then just email us at info at innovation-rockstars.show. More exciting contributions to our podcast series to be found on our website at www.innovation-rockstars.show or in our Innovation Rockstars channel on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.